I was like, baby, you know, me and your mother love you ridiculously. And he was like, yeah, I do, Dad. I was like, no, we love the hell out of you. But I got to tell you something. Um, your your mother took her own life um, last night, uh, yesterday afternoon. Um, she loves you so much, though. And uh, I remember just catching them. And uh, I said, hey, babe, we got an idea. You know, this is going to be the name, Brooklyn Brownie. And uh, he was like... Yeah, okay, Dad, Delila. Uh, that sounds good. At least it's got a name. Which I was like, mm, okay, kid. <laughs> You're too cool. You're like me, but uh, I love it. Pretty much, I should have been a guy who rode a motorbike and was a corporate attorney. <laughs> That's about it. That's what my mother's trained us into being sharks, man. Um, and yeah, in my field, I guess I could say I was very sharkish before. And Leo made me realize there was so much more that was greater than me. Um, and he humbled me so much. Hi. My name is Jacob Collins Brown, and this is UKBF Stories, where we are telling the story of small businesses across the UK and shining a spotlight on their journey. Today I'm with John Lashley, founder of Brooklyn Brownie. Hello, John. Hey, Richard. How are you? Uh, great to meet you. And preparing for this interview today has been fascinating. I've loved looking through the story, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. It's going to be good. Um, Please kick us off. Tell us what is Brooklyn Brownlee what, and th literally about the business itself. Well, Brooklyn Brownie, we're, I'd say it's an authentic American bakery or a micro bakery right here in Northampton. So as you can tell, I'm an American. Uh, last place I lived before I moved over was Brooklyn. Uh, so I thought, well, let's make it Brooklyn Brownie. The crazy thing about the brownies, we... They used to be incentive treats for the teams I used to go and work at because I worked in digital media, film, and advertising for years. And I'd bring these plain brownies to work every Friday just to make sure everyone wouldn't run to the pub at 4 o'clock in London. Uh, so when you feed British people, you kind of bribe them and they feel uh, they owe you something. <laughs> so that was my only way to keep them in the offices up until 7 o'clock so I could get my renders, I could get my media. So, uh, yeah, so for years, I guess I, I product tested the Brooklyn Brownie and uh, suddenly we needed to pivot and uh, me and my son, we created Brooklyn Brownie. And they're not just, when you say plain brownies, your brownies are not by any stretch of the imagination plain. No, no, no now, now they're not. Because what we did was we, me and Leo, we, we perfected the base and we perfected the taste, the chew, the, 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 I guess the flavor profile that we knew we needed to do. I guess when I cook food uh, and bake food and things of that nature, I go into the more science of it. Because back when I was a child, I remember watching a show of how it's made. I don't know if you guys watch that show, but um, how it's made, they kind of go into factories and they show you things. And I remember them going into the Oreo factory and seeing there was a team, just a team there focusing on crunch, snackability, which is also known as a addictive nature of a food product and so on and so forth. And I just went, if this gigantic company does that, we have to at least nick a little bit of that. We need to make sure whatever you put on top of those bases are perfect. Um, so that's what we wanted. We wanted something that was right chew. So you get a corner piece with each bite and you get the moistness of the centerpiece with each bite. Uh, and then we also went, well, we're going to take on the cupcake market and we're going to force our way into that, which we have. And just to emphasize on that, the you're looking at um, what how Oreo look at every unique detail of their product, you're emulating that in your business and it's yourself and your son. We're not talking about a big megacorp here, we're talking like literally you're taking those lessons 
and applying them. And your Oreo-based brownie is <laughs> perfection. I, I, um, I got introduced to Brooklyn Brownie off the back of seeing um, a news article about the business. Okay. And <clears throat> I read that just as uh, it was approaching my wedding anniversary. And I thought, my wife likes brownie, she likes chocolate, <laughs> order this. And brownie points were absolutely there on the button. Uh, wife loved them. So much so that that's uh, why I ordered some more for you to bring today. Well, thank you so much for the support. But, um, yeah, it's just like me and Leo, we didn't make the business to be sad. We made the business for ourselves and we made the business because we thought this is something we could completely control with an audience that hopefully follows our journey and aren't just followers, they become an extended family. And that's what we like about our followers um, and the people who follow our journey. They actually care about us um, significantly. Uh, and it means a lot to myself and him. Um, so this is why we treat everyone as we'd like to be treated. We create products that we would buy. Uh, there is nothing about, oh, margin, whatever else. And if anything needs to be raised, we explain why there isn't just a, you know, when I think university fees were going up by 3,000 pounds, that was one of the reasons why I left the, uh, lecturing. Uh, and all the other, you know, unis just went, oh, we have to raise the prices. And they didn't add anything to it. That's not what we do. If we're adding to the price, we're adding to the value of the, of the, of the item because that's what we want to purchase. Uh, if we purchase it, we're going to give it, sell it to other people. Um, and, and we just believe in it. And what you mentioned about Oreo, the biggest thing we also see is learning from others. Be humble. If, if, if this team, it, now they're at Mondelez, uh, they're one of the largest food providers in the world. Um, if you can't learn something from a conglomerate like that, a juggernaut in the industry, you haven't humbled yourself enough to be successful in business. Because I'm, we're a flea compared to them. And all we can do is just study their products, study their methods, and just take a little bit of what they do and throw it into our, uh, our pretty much our business profile and how we, we create our products um, and one of the things that we believe in is, like you said, we said making a great base and then putting fantastic products on it that are ready-made uh, and not changing them in any way. Some people bake the product on top of their brownie or whatever else. It's kind of crazy because it's like me taking or someone taking our brownie, putting it on top of their product and rebaking it. You've ruined something that somebody's <laughs> taken time to an effort, you know what I mean, to make. Uh, so, yeah, we, we don't do that. We, we figured out what, what works, the snackability behind it. We put two great products together in each brownie and we make it happen. And the and you mentioned just then that your followers, your social followers become part of the family and sort of um, become attached to your brand and your story. And I, the that's a brilliant segue to lead in because that's part of you know i'm there i bought you know i bought into i f feel attached to your brand and to your story and following on from that so you mentioned you're uh, from america from new york and that's where your life began what was sort of your early years your growing up your education what were those years like for you i i, I even back when i was a kid i've had a very i guess you could say uh different life to not traditional, um, even to my siblings. So I, I suffer with asthma. Uh, I don't know if the camera picked up me spraying my inhaler. It's something I've almost trained myself to hide. I've, I've been in clubs and people haven't even realized I've taken my inhaler in front of them. Um, it's not because I'm ashamed. It's just I, didn't, I constantly felt like a freak as a kid uh, with this issue that I have, uh, asthma. And I was promised for years 
by the doctors. It'll dissipate when I'm a teenager. It'll dissipate when you're 18. It'll dissipate when you're 25. Uh, and then I just stopped caring. <laughs> just like, this is, this is me. And this made me unique. In a way that asthma helped me get out of the school system that we were in. We started my life in Hempstead, New York. Um, a, I guess, mm, a densely populated area uh, on Long Island, and its uh, its demographic is mostly made up of African Americans. Uh, my dad, being one of the only, I guess you could say, Irish German dudes there, uh, the hippy dippy guy who um, met my mom at university, and uh, they fell madly in love. And he came into my life when I was nine months. Uh, he came from a family with a single mother, but they lived on the North Shore, really amazing house, everything else. He's got two brothers. Uh, and they met at college, and he was just smitten. And then when he met me, he apparently, um, I think it was week three, week four, he said, uh, I can't let this little guy live without a dad, like I did. Um, and we we were best friends ever since then. Uh, he lived with me up until I left New York, um, because mom and dad, uh, they're still together, but mom moved upstate with my sister Hillary because uh, she got into Cornell. So they have two; they had two houses. Um, so mom went upstate with Hillary and kept her safe and, and focused and grounded. And dad, he still had work because he was one of the uh, county treasurers. So uh, he, he lived with me for a good chunk of my life. Now, living in Hempstead, it, it was a bit different. School districts weren't the best. And, and uh, I guess resources weren't there. So I guess this is where the asthma comes in. The handy thing was I became a liability at school. Uh, and in America, where well, there's blame, there's claim. And they just did not want me in the system having asthma attacks, having ambulances rush to the school. So they offered my mother the option to have lecturers coming in and teach me every day uh, for X amount of hours at school, paid for by them, uh, to which we, we took up. Might as well. Uh, and it was interesting, uh, I would say. Uh, I had to do, well, I had to also meet with psychologists every, every week, uh, and so on and so forth, uh, which was an interesting dynamic for a child growing up from four to do. Um, but I think it turned me into the person I am kind of analytical, um, easy to talk to adults from when I was in my teenage years, uh, no issues with that. I guess what they were worried about was me being able to bond with my peers. 12-year-olds and 13-year-olds. So every year they'd uh, dump me back into the school system for a week. And in my head that was called Hell Week because I just did not mesh with these individuals. At 11, I was, I was, I was put into university. You know what I mean? My mother said, you want to make friends? We're, we're, we're making some friends. And uh, I did night classes at the local uni that her and dad met at. She found a loophole uh, and that's what she did with all of us. And uh, it was one of these sink or swim situations with most of my life. And uh, I guess it's made me the individual I am today. Just like recently we did Silverstone. Silverstone, that was our first gig <laughs> in, uh, in our food truck. And uh, yeah, most people were like, how is that your first gig? And how are you so relaxed about it? And my whole life has been sink or swim, make it happen. You, from there, because uh, if I remember correctly, your aspiration whilst you was uh, still living in New York was to uh, 
be an anime artist, a film and animation artist. <laughs> anime, is that right? Yeah. Well, my mom's aspirations for all of us, because he jot those down when uh, we were born. Uh, I was supposed to be an architectural engineer. I was supposed to change the face of the earth because I can't give birth to a child, which will do that. I need to give birth to changing the landscape of the world, um, which is insane. When I, when I start to like dissect these words, I'm like, Mom, what are you talking about? But the handy thing is I moved that over to Hillary, my little sister, so she had to do that. So she's an aerospace engineer. Um, but I hate straight lines. I hate all that stuff. I, I fell in love with computer graphics when I went to art school because I got reintroduced back to school um, around age 15. And I went to a school, um, I was focused on arts, uh, visual, uh, visual arts, uh, performing arts, and so on and so forth. It was like fame. I don't know if you ever, anybody ever watched that television show. But uh, it was almost a micro school for the gifted, that's what they called it. But it was handy. They just pretty much nurtured these, these talented kids, these geeks. Um, and... I was fortunate enough to do the whole day class because usually it was a half a day. A school, a local school district will ship the kid in for half a day and then send them back to their school. But I got to stay there for the full day. Um, so classes for academics was five people in a class. So it was very, very handy from moving from one-on-one -on -one to, you know, five students in a class. And then half the day I got to do arts. And that's where I fell in love with computer graphics. Um, and yeah, I was hooked. And I had to tell mom, I had to break the news to her. And I was so happy that my dad was there because he was like, well, baby, if that's what he wants to do, let him do it. You know, he's doing amazing at it. I don't even know what this stuff is. You know, he, he was a big Tron fan. And he was like, if you can make Tron, John, let, let, just let him do it, babe. Um, and yeah, my pops, he did step in. And then that was really cool of him. Um, and just allowed me to thrive in that, that area. Um, went to... Well, was still doing night classes, so I was building up credits uh, in America. That's how it works. And then you could take those credits and move them to the final university you decide to graduate into, which is what I did. I went to NYIT, which was the home of computer graphics, and it was in Long Island, um, which was very fortunate. So I went there, and I pretty much skipped a year with all the credits I had built up when I was a teenager. So I was able to skip a year and a bit. Uh, I got a ton of scholarships, grants, and everything else. Uh, did that very well, graduated uh, summa cum laude, and then instantly went to NYU, which is in Manhattan, and got was working on my master's. And the thing with that was the last six months, I was able to work on a film because I was so focused on hybrid art, which is taking 3D and 2D plates and putting them together. Most artists just focus on 3D or the 2D. I saw from the jump uh, back in undergrad, the person who could mix these two are the actual rock stars. You know what I mean? They're the flame artists, they're the inferno artists, they're the smoke artists, and they're the ones who get the biggest paycheck. So that was what I wanted to do. I just didn't want to be an element maker. I wanted to be the magic maker. I wanted to be the guy who combined everything. So I focused on that, and that helped me instantly work while I was still in uni. Um, which didn't once again make me many friends <laughs> because most of the students who were with me, they were coming in as interns in those shops that I was working at. And I was like, oh God, <laughs> you're, you're like, oh, you're above me and you're my intern. This is crazy. But uh, yeah, man, you just, it, it, it's been an interesting ride academically. Um, I'm picking up the vibe that you, you very much have a thirst for learning knowledge in self-improvement really just sort of focusing on being ahead of your peers driving that um in that case we're talking about education mm. 
the does that come from anywhere in particular or is that just innate within yourself for for all of us um it, it's built in with mom you know mom i guess you could say and dad they're yin yang they are complete polar opposites uh which helps us create who we are if we had two of my mother in that relationship we would be very different individuals um but my mother's very business savvy um and also taught us to just drive through things just persevere uh uh, maybe that's because she's from British Guyana, you know. I mean, it's just the whole keep keep calm and carry on situation. Uh, so she has the whole thing exactly, man. They, they have the whole monarch thing blend down there. Um, so yeah, she was always keep calm and carry on. You know that you will get through this. You will see this through. Um, never quit. Uh, where my father was, um, take a moment, rethink things, take a breath. You know, um, life is important you are important whatever task you're doing isn't you know it will be there tomorrow um so this yin and yang helped create these in interesting individuals i could say i guess you could say who were able to adapt and overcome most most things in life uh you moved into the uk in 2004 mm. uh, into milton Keynes, which is just down the road from here yeah. uh, for a couple of years before coming to northampton yes but when um when you first came over to the uk if, if uh, if I understood correctly, you started teaching others, lecturing, um, as well as working in visual effects. Yes, yes, I did. Um, <clears throat> I started lecturing at the, let's see, where the first place, uh, Birmingham University, then uh, School of Audio Engineering in London, uh, and then finally I settled at um, uh, Stoke-on-Trent um, University out there, University of Stoke-on-Trent, and it was quite cool. Very, very interesting, different vibe to American universities, I guess you could say, the learning institutions here in this country. I guess the universities in America, I guess you could say when I was there, because maybe it has changed since I've been, the difference is we create sharks. We're very money driven. And that's the thing. It's just like, if you're not doing good at, at the university, you're burning your cash because number one, you're walking out with a hundred grand debt. Um, what are you doing? You know what I mean? It's pretty much what are you doing with your money and what job are you going to walk into to pay off that debt? So they do create people who are highly competitive, highly uh, sometimes underhanded. Uh, some of the things that have happened in our school, uh, it was wild. I've seen people knock over people's hard drives uh, and things of that nature. Uh, yeah, really different in America. We're here. I remember my first my first job, I'm not going to mention who it was, but I, I walked in, had my backpack and everything else, had all my, my data, uh, and I walked past one of the lecture halls, and the teacher was standing up there with a intro to Maya book, which anybody could teach, uh, could, could get, and they were reading word for word what they should be doing, what, what the students should be doing, so I walked past, and I was like, that didn't happen. I did like almost some moonwalk and peek back, and yeah, and the class was just semi-button pushing. And I continued on to the main, uh, I guess, where teacher drawer and was signing in and everything else. And in my head, I was like, this isn't how university should be. Um, and from that day, uh, I taught my classes how I wanted to teach because honestly, I didn't need them. <clears throat> Teaching the classes here to me was me giving back. It was my community service because I got so many grants. I got so many scholarships when I was a kid. Um, it meant that I should be given something back. Um, 
because I was still working in London, still working uh, in film and everything else. So I was able to be very flexible in whatever school I went to. It was one day, intensive day. I taught three classes that day, uh, and I'd come in and come out, and then remote learning. Uh, people will send me emails and everything else. So every school that had me, they were very happy to have me because I was actually in the industry. Um, there is a big difference with lecturers and people in the industry, and they love the fact that somebody in the industry was willing to give their time um, so I had that flexibility. So with my classes, I know this kind of goes against the book, but I'd bring in uh, work that I was working on. And I would sit down, I would open up the work, uh, and I'd say, guys, this is what we're going to composite today. And I'd have them composite something from Microsoft, or a project I just did two weeks ago. And when we were done, and we'd make sure we did that module within two hours or so, or, or whatever, how, many, how, how long the class was, I'd say, right, you guys just made three grand. And they went, what? <laughs> what did you just say? And I was like, yeah, you just made three grand, man. <clears throat> That's what I charged last week. And they were like, suddenly that got them hungry. Man. And every week I'd bring in old projects and they'd work on live projects that they would be seeing on television or something else or online uh, later uh, that week or that month or whatever else. And they loved it. And they were like really buzzing. And then there was a bit of an issue because everybody was like, why are the other classes like this? Um, but that's not my problem. <laughs> I mean, booking the jazz classes. But what uh, you was doing, which is something which I agree misses in education in so many ways, it, education is too often regurgitating a piece of like a, 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 a checklist. Mm -hmm. You was making it real. I have to. You was, you was literally bringing in the real world into this is relevant this is what you're doing here oh completely otherwise it's just you're just ticking boxes and that was the thing it was just like in a way when we had the final projects and things of that nature the first the first time i had to because i came in semi-end of uh one of the terms and i saw the final projects and the way they spoke to the ki kids to me they weren't kids because at that time i came over i was 25 uh some of the students were 22 23 whatever else and uh, i was just like it's the final project uh, I, I had to pause it at some, sometimes. I was like, why are we talking to them like this? I was like, we're about to graduate these guys and they're about to go into the real world and get eaten. I was like, this is a joke. Um, to which they suddenly had to change things a bit. And for that season, they just took me out of, <laughs> out of the final project thing. And then, but then the next season, I was like, if you do that again, I'll, I'll, I'll walk. I'll go to another uni. I don't care. I'll do my community service elsewhere. Um, to which they were like, all right, we got to figure out how to make sure this works. And I said, you guys are not helping students, man. Um, so the cool thing was all the students, who, majority of students who left our, 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 our class, they ended up in the industry. Uh, and they're still in touch with me, Facebook, LinkedIn, all that stuff. And they're doing fantastic work. Um, and they appreciated uh, my last set of students. They got into the paper because at that time they had the, I guess, the, the fastest growing um, uh, online watched video. They did a Lego Inception and it just went viral. It was like viral before viral started happening. Uh, I got like 7 million views in a week. And it was, it was crazy. Um, so it was things of that nature that we helped bring in, well, I helped implement into it. Um, I got very annoyed when um, the fees went up. And we had this big lecturer's meeting thing. We all had to sit in this, this room. Uh, and the, the dean came in and said, you know, prices are going up. Um, blah, 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 blah. It's the way it is. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, uh, are there any questions? I was the only one who raised my hand and stood up. I said, well, what, are we, what are we giving students for that extra three, three and a half grand? And, um, and they went, nothing. 
to which I didn't dig that because being in debt, you know what I mean? It was just like, this is, this is mad. Uh, so we're giving them nothing. We're not getting new computers, we're not getting new render farms, we're not getting them uh, tablets or anything like that. No, everybody else is doing it. Okay. Uh, I ate that and then we went, we, we left. But then later that afternoon, there was a follow-up email to everyone, you know, we're not, this was shocking. Uh, yes, we are. University, uh, we're not about whatever, I forget the terminology, but she's what they went, we're about getting bums on seats. To which, uh, I just wrote back, I quit. Tall. <laughs> That's about it. And I just got my stuff, got my laptop. I was like, see you, bro. And just pounded everybody left. I was like, send me a check or don't send me a check. And I care, it's not going to need it. And uh, left. I was just done. I uh, told message all the students said, if you guys want to get in touch and finish things up with me, like, you could do that. And uh, Or I could link you some jobs because uh, it was pretty much like three or four more, three weeks left. Um, but I wasn't, I wasn't going to sit in that institution. It was not right. It was not right at all. Um, and it was just, I felt it was very wrong. Around about. I'm sort of trying to sort of follow the sort of timeline mm. there. Two big things changed in your life around about 2007, 8, 9. Yeah. <clears throat> the, uh, um, what were those? Yeah, man, the birth of my baby. <laughs> the birth of my son, Leo. Um, Leo is fantastic. Leo grounded me. I, uh, I'll be, I've always been honest. I've been, we've been trained to be very arrogant. Um, Pretty much, I should have been a guy who rode a motorbike and was a corporate attorney. <laughs> That's about it. That's what my mother's trained us into being sharks, man. Um, and yeah, in my field, I guess I could say I was very sharkish before. And Leo made me realize there was so much more that was greater than me. Um, and he humbled me so much. And uh, I'm so thankful for him for doing that and making me a better person. Um, a lot more empathetic to others' feelings, uh, caring about, I guess more than just me. Uh, being a techie person, you could just focus on tech and yourself. Um, and yeah, man, as a, as a, as a kid, uh, this little being, uh, yeah, he, he, he really did pull me out of my shell. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a lot better because of him. And then, uh, so you just become a dad. And then in 2009, you went to a costume party. <laughs> oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I went to a costume party and uh, my wife at the time, um, she went as a Smurf. This was my first party in the UK. I don't know why you guys dress up, <laughs> but one of our runners, I was working at Ragdoll at the time, the guys who make Teletubbies and stuff, I was working on In the Night Garden, uh, their next like big thing. And uh, one of the runners was leaving and she went, uh, her name was Gemma, and she went, uh, John, I'd love to have you there at this 80s party. Um, I was like, oh, 80s party, cool. And uh, she was like, yeah, it's a fancy dress party. All these weird terminologies I had to start learning. And I was like, the heck's a fancy dress party? And uh, one of the guys in the compositing company is like, it's a costume party, John. Have you been to one of those? And I was like, I didn't want to say no. Because <laughs> I wasn't allowed to party really as a kid. Uh, so I was like, uh, yeah, sure, I've been one of them. But aren't we a bit old for that? They're like, no, it's fancy dress. And I was like, okay. I thought I was being punked. Um, but they were like, no, it's just proper. So I was like, all right, it's 80s, cool. So I started thinking... Oh, yeah, I kind of look like Mr. T. Let's do that. And then being competitive and artists, we all kind of kept secret what we were going to be. There was about 20 of us in this compositing unit. And um, 
uh, started growing my hair, looking a bit homeless, and everybody was like, mm, John, are you coming to meetings looking a bit scruffy? And I was like, yeah, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. We got a month to go. Um, and everybody else, some of, the, some of the guys were growing their hair long because they were going to cover like, some hippie dudes and stuff like that. And it was just, it was great. I just love the competitive nature of all of us, but we all kept it secret. And then the night I turned up as Mr. T, my uh, Elaine, my partner, uh, she came as a Smurf, painted her whole body blue, but the car was a mess, <laughs> absolute state. Uh, but yeah, that night, uh, everybody loved it. And uh, they kept taking pictures of me. The guy who owned the club that we were at, he kept taking photos, and I thought this guy's a bit weird because he kept following me about. Um, and then the end of the night, he's like, hey, can I have your number? And I was like, we're getting a bit far here, man. He's been following me around all night here. And... Uh, he was like, no, 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 I want to tell you something. There's these things called a look-alike in this country, and I really think you should look into it. And I was like, dude, I'm, you know, I'm visual effects editor. Uh, I'm a team leader. I don't need that. And he's like, no, please just do it. Uh, so I gave him my number, and he's like, can I get your email? I'll dump all these photos to you. So I was like, fine. So he gave him my email, and that was a Saturday. He sent everything on the Sunday. Pretty honest, dude, pretty cool. And he just said, please just forward this or look for look-alike industries on Google. And, and do what you want with these photos. And I just did it as simple as that, Richard. I just dumped everything just with this guy. I kept following me around all night. Uh, here are some photos from the party. Dump. And I sent it to the top 10 Google searches. I didn't know anything about the entertainment industry. Uh, I'm a tech geek, you know what I mean? Um, and within the next week, I was working, did a commercial for Asda, Drayton Manor, um, and so on and so forth. And that bowl just started to roll out of control from there. And those two first gigs actually were half and half with the guys who we call the chip and doubles so it was half of the team at one half of the team at the other and we had no clue what we were going to create the following year um but on those two gigs it's like when you meet people and you vibe with them you take the number you keep in touch and uh i'm so happy we did because it went mental yeah went crazy the um i actually saw the episode of uh, britain's got talent oh did you uh, <laughs> so when i saw the clip when yeah. sort of preparing for today mm -hmm. I, was like, I was with my wife so that's the that's the cosmic to tomorrow <laughs> the uh she, and we both remembered the episode so literally um i'm not uh exaggerating it when sort of looking at sort of the next sort of few years um from britain's got talent uh we at kiss link come down me and that um the people watching this um most well known i'd say sort of for it's like the snickers adverts mm. um the it kind of just took on a life of its own yeah the uh with that the mr t character took on a life of its own and if i talk in the way i do um please excuse it it's just who i am if you get to know me you'll realize why um i do compartmentalize each one of these things i do um, just to keep them from blending over. I've looked at the entertainment industry and I've seen people who've blended their lives over and it doesn't work well. Um, I'm John. At the end of the day, when everybody meets me, they meet John. They don't meet Mr. T. They don't meet some guy who's been on television. They don't meet the visual effects dude. They meet me. And hopefully they judge me on how I treat them and how I am on that day, um, which is always pretty chill and normal. Um, but yeah, that character blew up insanely um and it got very scary the reality is everybody in the chipman doubles relationships ended um and that's unfortunate reality of entertainment um not for anything out there <laughs> there was one character who was a bit wild and he did his thing but he was kind of a free agent anyway but 
I think, unfortunately, when a lot of people are getting attention and, and, and then things of that nature, things could creep in, doubt could do, creep in into people's minds. And unfortunately, um, yeah, all seven of us ended up single. Um, and uh, yeah, that was an unfortunate situation from that, 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 situ that, that thing. But now, what we found out, Britain's Got Talent has um, safeguards in place. So they've got psychologists, they've got therapists, they've got everyone on site to help talk with everyone and just help uh, the, the couples or, or family members who are with that team member who's about to go on television um, have just a bit of support because everyone up until then uh, kind of got thrown to the wolves. And that was it. And I think... I've seen media sort of news stories mm. from even sort of young children yeah. who have had fame thrown at them mm. very early age mm. and the industry didn't have that protection, didn't have that support for these young people and then the worst things happen and yeah. they in all sorts. So it's, I mean, it's good to see that now, yes, yes. but hearing your sort of own personal experience there prior to that, um, obviously had an impact yeah. um, which sort of if we go forward to sort of round about sort of 2019 mm -hmm. um, around that sort of time you had separated from Elaine I'm guessing yeah. uh, that sort of time. Uh, Elaine and myself we separated back in 2012 or so um, but she just lived down the road 17 minutes away I knew that because I saw Leo about uh, three times a week, I had him at night, uh, I came back to the family house, and uh, and I, every other weekend. Uh, so when you added it up, it was pretty much exactly almost 50-50 uh, household. And we had a great system, you know, we had a great relationship. I guess after the first three, four months of the whole thing, Exodus, um, it was quite chill, you know, because uh, uh, Leo's got brothers, um, who I took on as sons and everything else, and we all were almost a family ish but in two different houses um uh, i started a new relationship uh elaine i guess was doing whatever she was doing and and that was fine but we never really argued about stuff so i think maybe we just needed the time i just once again i just wish there was therapy or something like that or or or, or something overlooking us both but unfortunately we both kind of didn't have parents i didn't have parents in this country she didn't have parents anymore because they passed. Um, and this is why I always look at things and I go, if Leo ever gets into a real relationship and he's getting married or something like that, it's going to be old school. You know, dad will always be there. Dad is going to make sure you don't hurt that girl's feelings. Or if this relationship you guys forced me to invest time into and believe in starts to fall apart, you, you better know what. That investment ain't falling apart on my watch. You know what I mean? That's what it's going to be like when I'm with him. Um, and they're both going to get sat down and spoken to. Um, unfortunately, we didn't have that. So with Mr. T the Mr. T character and sort of the whirlwind that was happening there. How did that progress develop? What's sort of, how, how did you deal with that? Well, with the Mr. T character, to me, he was always a secondary thing. He was just another string to my bow. Um, and, and we just added that character into what I was doing. So I was still working at Ragdoll, uh, still creating content and uh, creating shows with them. Uh, I was just about to move on to another company um, and become a their lead visual effects artist there. 
But that was the thing. That's what I went to school for, and that's what I respected. And to me, even though when you break down the numbers, I guess if an accountant sat down, he was just like, they would have went, John, just keep doing Mr. T as much as he can. Because in all honesty, Richard, I mean, like, entertainment <laughs> pays <laughs> ridiculously for nonsensical things. I mean, so, yeah. Um, but I think that was all doing that, though, when you cover a moment ago, like the impact yeah. it has on your personal life. Mm. That's where... Yeah. you start to balance is the money worth it or not exactly and there was a point when i was just sick of this character um and i still remember i shaved my head uh started to shave my beard uh, I've, i always had this beard because my dad has a beard um and i remember as a kid i used to just like hang off of the off the thing and uh i went well if i have a kid i, I want to have a beard as well so he could you know do the same thing i did with my dad uh so we keep that tradition me and pops um but yeah, the whole Mr. T character, I just want to sing this thing. It's taken over my life. People are focused more on that, uh, not seeing the degrees I have. You know, I turned down a, a doctorate um, at 22. Um, I was supposed to go to Brown. And, uh, you know, it's like, it's, it's that stuff. My academia to me was so huge in my life at that point. And I was like, how dare this thing that came from a costume party come and overshadow all the work I've done and ruin my life, you know what I mean? Um, to which I was telling that to my sister over the phone and she just kind of went, John, she's like, if I was there, I'd slap you. And I was like, what do you mean? She was like, you're really spitting in the face of so much. Um, she was like, what you're getting paid per hour? Cause that's how you do your gigs. She was like, it's, it's, it's ludicrous. Um, she said, just take a step back and breathe like dad told us breathe and think about things still shaved my head um and what was it two weeks later some commercial came in huge commercial i was supposed to go to israel uh to do shoot this advert and i was like i have no hair <laughs> and i don't know i solve this situation so freaking out um oddly enough i came across this weird company called hair direct or something and they uh, my custom hair pieces. And I was like, this is a long shot. So I sent them a message and uh, the owner was, at, well, the owner was transitioning. Dad was passing the torch to his kid and his kid was like 38 and 18 fan. And he went, yes. <laughs> yes, we will do that. Send us your skull. And I was like, how do I do that? So they explained, tape it up, blah, 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 send it to them. Um, so I did that and they created custom hair pieces for me. And it was just pretty much like a superhero. I was able to still lecture, pop into things, go into business meetings, uh, still be taken seriously, not wearing bandanas um, and everything else, and conduct my life as a normal individual and then pop on the hair when I wanted to become the serious superhero with the chains and everything else. And uh, it was night and day, and it works so well. I still work with them. They're absolutely fantastic. Um, but it, it did give me that flexibility. And then I became comfortable with compartmentalizing Mr. T into his own little uh, lane. John, the VFX and media artist, into his own lane. Um, and John, the dad, uh, at that time. And it worked really good, I felt, for me. Uh, and then, at some point, we did split again. You know what I mean? Because things start merging. Uh, the Mr. T character allowed so much to happen because... I slap on some chains and everything else, and people go, oh, that's a PR thing that's going to work so well. 
we need you to promote our bodyguard company, you know what I mean? Or we need you to promote our flight school because I was going to get a flight license uh, because Mr. Tian get on a plane. Um, but it's <laughs> so crazy how these doors open. And that was, once again, the, the animosity I had for this character. I was just like, why does he get so much? You know what I mean? Just, just, just by looking the way he does. And, and this John needs to work so hard. Um, to to make an impact, to, or to become you know a VFX lead, or to become a creative director, uh, to get to those lofty heights of places, and I'm constantly denied. Um, but this character just gets given so much. Um, but once, like I said, my sister, she talked sense into me, and she said just accept it, um, and in a way finagle your way into businesses via that character. Now this is a funny one. I call it the janitor rule. Um, so many people pretend the janitor is a plant you know the janitor comes in and the janitor has access to so much at night to your company to everybody's company and mr t has so much access to that behind the scenes marketing budgets everything else now mr t goes away and he sends you back something from his digital side <laughs> because he knows you guys are looking for a film crew he knows you guys are looking for this and he's able to tender a lot cheaper than everyone else because he knows the marketing budget. Um, and it, it worked out well when I started merging the characters because I've had access to some very large companies with that character, pushing my little tea trolley for an hour, giving tea and coffee to people, meeting the VIPs, meeting the execs. Uh, and then the cool thing is when they realize, they're like, T, what are you doing here? I was like, well, you know, I'm running this bit of a division, this, this module for your, for your business. And they're like, it's perfect. <laughs> Let's keep going. You know what I mean? Uh, so it breaks the ice. Uh, it allowed me into so many behind the scenes things. Um, and it allowed me to, uh, to help start blending things and, and then have a whole different, once again, another string to my bow. Uh, I ended up attaining my bodyguards license. Um, and it's called a close protection license here in this country. And, uh, that was a whole different, crazy surreal world as well so so whilst i've got you here are you running your own or have a keen interest in small business then ukbf is here for you visit ukbf.co.uk and become part of our vibrant community to meet other like-minded business owners and tap into a wealth of expertise and experience to help your business thrive now back to the story did I read somewhere that that license got you in uh, into, or you was um, working with president or royal appointments? Yes, yeah. Um, so all that stuff is classified. But yes, uh, oddly enough. Now you sound like Mr. T. <laughs> <laughs> Quit your jibber jabber, Richard. No, but uh, it was strange. Uh, once again, uh, this company, they went, oh, wow, you could use Mr. T character because he was a bodyguard for Michael Jackson and a few other people. Um, they're like, oh, let's get, let's get him his license. So I went down and uh, I was like, I looked at what they were doing. I was like, do you guys have a syllabus? Dude, here goes Digital John. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they gave me this paper thing and I was like, well, you know what? We could, we could, we could create a digital online module for you where you could teach the students remotely um, and you could just make this whole thing a lot more streamlined, less work for you and your team. And they're like, how do you know this? And I was like, well, we created something for this company, that company. And they're like, and you missed it too. I was like, yeah. And I was like, you know, it'd be cool. Let me just take the course as well, fully. And uh, they were like, all right, it's a month long course. It's pretty intense. And I was like, 
all right, let's go. Cause I have to film this stuff anyway. Might as well do it. You know? So they hired me for Mr. T. They hired me for the digit, create the digital course. So more money. Uh, and I also was like, I'm getting this, this, this license for free. And I get all this training. Uh, it was interesting because the whole class, I think they were ex-military, um, or there was three who were in the security service for years. Um, so when they went around a room introducing each other, you know, I, I've done this and done that, this tour, that tour, but I'm like, get to <laughs> get to bozo in the room and they're like what do you do and i'm like let me see all these cameras um, yeah that's me i'm just here filming it and creating a digital module and all the guys in the room are like so you're a geek <laughs> i'm just like i guess you say that uh, i'm also mr t and they're like yeah okay i'll put you down as code name t um like whatever and that was it. They just ignored me for a week and a half while I just sat there just writing my notes and everything else. And um, I guess the respect came because the handy thing is during this class, you have to do two PowerPoint presentations. To which I was like, uh, they were like, okay, we're going to give you some time in class to do the PowerPoint. Pulled out my laptop. 15 minutes later, I was like, see ya. Uh, I was getting up and leaving because I was like, this is the first day I could get out of here because they kept us there till midnight because we had to go into London, do practice drills and all this stuff. And... Uh, when I was getting up, I was like, get my stuff. Looked around the room and there was a dude. <laughs> there was a dude with the mouse upside down. <laughs> there was another guy like typing. They're like, eh, eh. I was like, oh no. And I was so I was just out the door and I just went went back in, went to the front of the class, plugged in my laptop, and I went, Hi, I'm John. I'm the geek you guys have been ignoring. I'm going to teach you all PowerPoint. And uh, I stayed there till midnight and I taught them all PowerPoint up to a certain level, went around the class and made sure all 15 of them were on point uh, with their, what they had to show um, two days later in class. Um, and we just went through the entire thing. Some of them had fright, stage fright. So I, I mocked it up. I was like, come on, guys, you got to stand up here and present. Um, big dudes, you know what I mean, who like are shy. And I just said, all right, when you guys are doing it, don't look at him. Look at me. So I'm, I'm sitting up front anyway because I got to film this. And like, just look at me and talk to me. Um, so every one of them, I went through it, and uh, that was it. I was gold from then on. And the two, well, the three top guys in the class who have a ton of experience. Um, when we graduated or whatever else, they instantly called me up and they're like, "Yeah, we're protecting a president. Uh, do you want to win?" I was like, "Yeah, let's do that." <laughs> Let's add that to the list, man. And uh, they were like, yeah, we'll get you in, no problem. Because um, they knew I had no real background to that. And uh, But it's, it's just, it's, what you, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And I knew them. And uh, just their word alone just got me in. And it was a whole different world, let me tell you, Richard. It was a world of paranoia. Um, very, very strict. Uh, scary at times. But very cool, man. Really cool. Yeah, the amount of things I know in London now is insane. Uh, the amount of places that are not secure, man. You are not secure. Let me tell you, there was one place we went, one hotel. I'm not going to name it, but on Park Park Ave, Park Ave, uh, Park Lane. And uh, man, uh, we went in because the thing is, you have to infiltrate three buildings. It was easy for me because I'm an American. So the second I started chatting nonsense, 
um, they were just like, they believed it. Because I was like, yeah, my principal's flying in in a week's time. Uh, I need to make sure this building's secure. Can you show me your, uh, your cameras? Show me your, 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 your video room. Where's your, uh, you know, where's your secure room or vault when, uh, if something goes down, uh, this person's a VIP. Who is he? Who, who is she? I can't, you know, I can't divulge that information. Just show my passport. I didn't have a badge at that point. We didn't even graduate. So it was just like, I'd go to some, this place. They took me down into the vault, showed me all their security cameras. And I was like, right. How many operatives do you have on site? This guy goes, it's me. It's um, so-and-so. And then he's like looking on camera. Oh, and it's him. And at that point, <laughs> Richard, I had the diehard feeling. You know what I mean? Where I, feel like, I felt like going, I could lock this place down and take you guys out <laughs> and find little so-and-so. And this building is mine. <laughs> it was just like, I was like, it's mad. I was like, this hotel is so unsecure. And uh, the guy, he kept going because we're in the vault. And, he's, and they had a jewelry store, a really nice jewelry store there. And he's like, you're coming back on Monday, right? And I was like, yeah. He's like, who is it? Who's coming? And I was like, I can't divulge that. But they're in the entertainment industry. They're an artist. And he's like... Do you think they'd like watches or something? And I was like, he has a ton of them. I'll tell you that. And uh, he's like, oh, I could get a bonus for this. And he's like, do you think they'd like, you know, he goes into the actual vault vault and he pulls out a watch. <laughs> the devil and the angel on our shoulder because I never had to go back to the hotel. Never had to, I never showed any ID anything. And uh, this thing was like 20 grand. And I was like, I was like, look, to tell you the truth, sir, I would be fired if I was to present something like that to him because it's an, it, I'd be pretty much telling him what his taste is. I was like, so thank you so much. I'll see you Monday. And he was like, oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. And I was like, oh, went back to the car and told the guys, they're like, you idiot. <laughs> I'm like, there's no record, bro. I was like, oh, the record is my conscience for the rest of my life. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it's such a wild world, man. And it's, it's cool. It's absolutely cool. Uh, and being able to also then go on every single one of Leo's school trips because they're like, oh, we need chaperones. Yeah, I'm a bodyguard. <laughs> they're like, yeah, John, are you available? After they found that out, I was always on every one of his trips. Um, so it's been fantastic. And then also the other thing was um, when I was working in Northampton, I couldn't get out of work doing the digital side of things. I had a security team in North and Milton Keynes I knew. So I had bodyguards pick up Leo uh, every day. Uh, every day I had him and ferry him back to the studio that I was at because his mother didn't really want taxis, but I had secure livery. <laughs> it was just like the boys just took care of me. They took care of me for years. I have this mental image of like a, a, a black SUV parked outside with like guys with dark glasses, suits, sort of so they were working out. That was it, man. There was one time, yeah, Leo fell asleep in the back of this G-Wagon, like spilled his drink everywhere. And the guys were like, it's fine, John, just, just get him out. <laughs> he was sleeping. He was like, hey, dad. But that's the thing. His life, he thought that's normal. He still thinks that's normal. Um, and, you know, he'd be like, oh, see you later, Caleb, uh, to the guys. And the guys were like, see you, Leo. Um, but... Yeah, it, I guess it helped him also grow because he's able to speak to people now, adults, just like I have, because uh, I put him in these situations. Um, but I put him in with the right people, people who actually did care a hell of a lot about him. So, um, And I knew nothing would ever happen to him. So that's what they're trained for. But at some point um, in 2019, you made the decision to come out of the corporate world and start your own business. Yes. And we know things happen very quickly afterwards, but what was the, what was happening and what drove the decision to become self-employed at that point? I guess, Richard, at that time, um, you know, I, I absolutely love the UK. UK is a great place to completely, uh, a lot, 
less stress than back in America. America is a bit of a pressure cooker. You got a lot going on there. Um, the UK, I, I thought, and I still do think, land of opportunity if you make it. Uh, but then again, almost like I said, in any country, westernized country I've been in, it is the land of opportunity when you make it happen. Um, I found my glass ceiling in the corporate world. Uh, I would never really attain the lofty heights of creative director. Uh, there was always something strange that popped up on interviews. There was something weird. And unfortunately, I'd see my, my ideas implemented within large corporations six months later. Uh, because when you need to pretty much go for those jobs, you need to bring a three or six month uh, package, a PowerPoint of how you're going to implement your creations into their business. Uh, so it started to kill me, man. Uh, you know, around the, I guess, I went on about, I think, 80-something different uh, uh, job interviews and the big ones. Uh, That's a lot of job interviews. A lot of job interviews. Uh, but the five that really burnt me was when I saw my creative visions in, in, their, in their company later. Um, there was one that actually gave me a standing ovation for the second round I went in because of the innovation I was going to bring into that company. Uh, and I thought, oh, I got this one. And, uh, and then I was just sent an email saying... There was just, it was, there's just something, it was like that, there was just something off. To which, how do you take that? <laughs> I'm like, is it me? Did I smell? Did I whatever? Uh, I'm like, you're going to sit up and clap because the innovation I was bringing in. Um, and then to see your ideas later implemented, you're like, oh, so you, you okay, whatever. Um, so I got very depressed, um, throwing in a towel and everything, getting down. Um, but... You know, somebody I had with me, they, they were just like, John, you got ideas, you got great ideas, uh, got self-employed, um, and just become a hired gun, digital-wise, uh, you know, a contractor, a consultant, which I did, and that was cool. I, I'd go in as people's hired gun, I didn't really care, um, and, you know, I'd tell them my figures for the day, and they'd pay it. Um, it was even sometimes more than if I'd invited out to be some of these creative director roles, you know what I mean? But they were only three-month type things or six-week stints and so on and so forth. Um, to which I was just like, I've got a family, I've got a house, I've got to need something more solid. Um, and then, yeah, I just sat down and we started to try to figure out what I was going to do next. Okay. And Brooklyn Brownie. Um made it to the top of the list <laughs> which does seem a very sort of left field yeah. for going from visual graphics to uh, animation design all the work yeah. you're doing there to brownies mm. yeah well the brownies they were oddly enough incentive treats for um, the studios i go into keeping the employees there on a Friday late, um, later than they should be, because, you know, usually people run away to the pub around four o'clock, five o'clock in London. So if you bribe them with food, they can't do that. They got to get you immediate. They got to make sure you're, you're taken care of before they head out. Um, me being the person who was not a part of that company, they had no allegiance to me. You know what I mean? And they knew I was a freelancer or whatever else or a consultant. So I was getting paid more than them. So why should they be decent to me? So that was a way for me to get them on my side. So in a way, I was product testing our product even before we knew Brooklyn Brownie was going to be a thing. Um, but when we did, we knew we had a product that was already tested for about six, seven years um, without even realizing we did that product testing. Um, and we took that product testing for before, and we implemented that into our barbecues because we had barbecues, and we were like, oh, cool, let's, let's have these brownies for the dessert for the barbecues. Um, so that's also a way that we tested things. Once again, when I break down my life, 
I'm always constantly reducing risk and I'm going with something that's been tried and tested. So yeah, I can still remember it. <clears throat> I was working, it was a Sunday and I had Leo that weekend and for whatever reason he was with me on Monday. But I was working on the idea of Brooklyn Brownie, the designs, the spec, what it's going to feel like, the luxury feel because we need to differentiate ourselves from the average tray bakers and things of that nature. Uh, we knew we had something special and being the authentic American brand, we could build that uh, really well in a country like the UK. Uh, so I woke Leo up as he normally gets up for breakfast and uh, I said, hey babe, we got an idea, you know, this is going to be the name, Brooklyn Brownie. And uh, he was like, yeah, okay, dad, we'll, uh, well, sounds good. At least it's got a name. Which I was like, mm, okay, kid, <laughs> you're too cool. You're like me, but uh, I love it. So uh, we moved on from there. And I remember our first uh, order was our neighbor, Fiona. She's a childminder. She lives diagonally across from us um, from where we live. And she ordered a box of brownies. As soon as she got them, uh, she went home and uh, she posted them online. And then all I saw was this crazy snowball that started to happen because she's taking care of so many people's kids. Their parents went, oh, where'd you get those brownies from? They look good. Um, and I could see her typing away, you know, popping up on Facebook. And she went, oh, yeah, I got them from my neighbor. He started this thing called Brooklyn Brownie. And it was fantastic. And I was like, oh. And then they were like, oh, can you message them and tell them I want some? This one said that, that one said that. And I was like, oh, no, this is, this is wild. Um, and it was exactly what we wanted. And then our neighbor and direct neighbor, uh, Jenna, she saw that we were doing these things and she went, oh, oh, wow, you guys are doing brownies. That's different looking. Um, and at that time she was a teacher's assistant and all of a sudden the teacher's assistants and teachers at her school were on her Facebook and they were like, oh my God, can you bring some of those into school? And I was like, oh, I was like, Leo, this is getting really weird. Um, so it started to really chunk out quickly, be with the right people because it was female because our, 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 our core um, purchases are females between the age of 25 and 45. Um, and yeah, it, it's fantastic. So that's about, I think it said uh, last time we, we did the check, 70% uh, are female. So that's cool. I guess women like chocolate. Um, and they loved brownies. Um, so yeah, they, they just started ordering, 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 ordering. And uh, we loved it, you know? Um, and then we had that lockdown situation <laughs> that popped up out of nowhere. No Even before the lockdown actually hit, yeah. the, um, you'd been only running for a few weeks mm. and then um, there's no way of even saying like trauma hit. Yeah, that is something that, right, well, right now, me and Leo try to, well, not try to, but we do focus on, on other things. Uh, so, yeah, sorry about skipping over that one. But, uh, yeah, um, it was my weekend to have Leo, and uh, I had him, and uh, we gave his mom a hug and a kiss and said bye and everything else. Uh, so it was my Friday, picked him up, and we drove away. And, uh, yeah, I got a call around 5? in the afternoon and it was um from leo's older brother and he's like we can't find mom to which i guess most people will go okay you know what i mean so what's the problem we can't find mom and when she left the house i gave her a hug and she had her medication bag and um i'm really worried and i'm like oof so honestly next john switches over all right um you know, because when the police called, they're like, have you seen it? Blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, all right, this is getting serious. Uh, I was like, can you trace your credit cards? Can you do this? You know, can you do all the things that we've been taught in bodyguards class? Um, to which then I started going, all right, 
forget this when I get anywhere, I'm going to call my friends and see what they could trace, uh, to which I did. And, uh, yeah, we, unfortunately they found her, uh, she was in Bletchley, little hotel there and, uh, she's, she committed suicide. Um, oof, man, I remember that feeling. It was a punch in the gut. You start just trying to figure out what you're going to do. How are you going to tell your son? Uh, your 12-year-old son at that point in time, um, life has changed permanently. Um, you know, he, he's not going to go back to that second house that he has, uh, that second life that he has, because he went to school in Milton Keynes. His friends were in Milton Keynes, you know. Um, we did have 50-50 split, but Leo had a life there. He had school uh, and everything else. And, uh, man, I started in my brain just overworking everything. And uh, I remember going to food store late at night because I was like, I from this point I didn't. We skipped dinner, everything else. We put Leo to bed, myself and my partner Becky, um, put him to bed, and uh, I was then able to talk. And I was like, I, I don't know what to do. I, this doesn't happen every day. This is this is madness. Everything's just going through my head, and she didn't know what to do. She was just crying because her and Elaine actually had an okay relationship as well. Um, which I was like, this ain't helping me. I need somebody analytical. I need somebody who'll clear head. So I just threw it in my group. Uh, we have a chip and doubles group. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, we just talk back and forth, everyday banter. And I just threw it in there like a grenade. And suddenly my phone just started blowing up. Um, and all the guys were calling me. Um, and I only picked up to one because I knew he was the most analytical. And uh, Steve, the James Bond, uh, he just talked me through everything. He said, number one, sleep. He said, get to sleep. And Leo's already in bed. I was like, yeah, sleep. Uh, take him out of the house tomorrow. You do not want to do anything in that environment that he's going to live the rest of his life. Um, and he thinks, this is the room my dad told me. Mom's passed on. Uh, he said, get him away from the house. Go to a place you would never find again. Um, wherever else. You ain't never going to go back there. Uh, and that's where you have this chat. And he's like, and John, just be strong. And, uh, you know, you, you will get through this. Uh, you're a great dad, um, and I'll start figuring out some whatever else. Uh, if you need any support, you can always drive out here because uh, he lives uh, a few hours from, well, not an hour from Norwich or whatever. Um, to which, yeah, I didn't sleep. How can you sleep? I actually, uh, we, we made a, a bit of a fortnight typey thing, and we, we decided to sleep in the living room, watch television and all that stuff, and let a little camp out uh, together, the three of us, me, Leon, and Becky. Um, she took herself upstairs after a while. But it just gave me time to just watch him. I still remember just watching him all night. And I just wanted to record what he was like before I had to destroy his life with that news. Um, and yeah, man, it was tough, dude. Because I knew it was coming. It's that looming thing of it's inevitable. You have to break this news to this kid. Uh, and yeah, man, there was so many different emotions. How could you? How dare you? Oh my God, everything. Why didn't you just talk to me when we were hugging you? Um, the situation you put me in. And then all I could hear was my mom. Keep calm, carry on, focus on the mission that you're supposed to, um, deal with. And that was making sure Leo was happy, secure, and everything else. Do not care about yourself. He is the mission objective. Um, and you need to make sure that child is completely secure. Um, and that was it. So, yeah, man, I took him. 
I remember I tried everything. I tried everything to not have that conversation, man. We got up at 7.30, uh, zipped over to McDonald's, <laughs> Riverside, and then I was like, oh, I need medication. I need medication. Yeah, let's go Let's go to Boots, get some medication, get my medicine, uh, everything to, to, to not have that convo. And I was like, I have to do this. And uh, driving away from there, I was like, where are we going now? And uh, it's just like, just started taking series of lefts. But the handy thing is we live in suburbia and we ended up in some woods. Uh, I drove into a parking lot and then I was like, oh, let's go for a little walk. And he was like, all right. Uh, so we started walking and we walked maybe a quarter mile into some place. And it started drizzling and everything else. Um, and this weird clearing and I was just standing there. I was like, baby, you know, me and your mother love you ridiculously. And he was like, yeah, I do, Dad. I was like, no, we love the hell out of you. But I got to tell you something. Um, your your mother took her own life um, last night, uh, well, yesterday afternoon. Um, she loves you so much, though. And uh, I remember just catching him, catching his body. He just kind of went limp. Uh, he just cried and cried and cried. Uh, and then that's when it really started raining. It was so weird. Uh, and then we walked back uh, to the car because he said, Dad, it's raining a lot. Let's just get back to the car. So we walked back to the car and I just kept telling him, we, we love you. We love you so much. You know, Mom's looking down right now at you and she, she loves the heck out of you, baby boy. Um, see, he stopped crying and he got back to the car and I guess he was texting his older brothers um, because they kept it blank. Um, until I broke the news, um, and, uh, yeah, it, it was heavy. We got back to the house. He wasn't crying anymore, but it was just me and him in the house because Becky went to work that day. Um, and he ran up to his room or disappeared upstairs. And yeah, I can still hear that, that noise. It was just him crying in the bathroom. And, uh, I had to go upstairs and just get him to open up. And uh, just get him. I got him out of there because he, I guess he didn't want to cry in front of his dad more. Uh, got him out of there <clears throat> and put him into our bed, uh, into the bedroom, and just cuddled him. And this kid cried for three hours straight. Uh, passed out, completely passed out from crying. Um, and then this is a surreal situation. He's, then I realized how much my genes are in this kid because I never trained him. I never really, I'm always like, when I'm with Leo, I'm the softest John there is. I'm a fluffy marshmallow John. And uh, everything he does is positive and we're over the top happy and everything else. Um, and I've never trained him how I am, but his genes are my genes, man. And you cannot train this crap. He woke up like a robot and he was normal as normal as normal can be. It was almost a computer rebooted. Becky came home because she stopped work at like two o'clock or something. And uh, she was even saying, did you tell him? She was texting me, did you tell him? Because he's acting strange, he's acting too normal. Um, and I said, yeah, I did. Um, and he was like, okay guys, uh, we're gonna go see my brothers now. And uh, we went to see his brothers um, and they instantly, he's the baby. They easily hugging him. You know, you have age range from 20 to 38 or so, his brothers. Um, and they're cuddling him. They're crying. There's Their girlfriends are crying. They're cuddling the baby, basically. Um, and then Leo started crying again. Um, but I still remember what he said when he left that house. Uh, we were walking to the car, and he said, Dad, I didn't cry again because I was sad. I was crying again because everybody else was crying. And I just kind of got caught up in the moment. I understand Mom's gone. 
I have to move on from that. I love mom. Um, but it's everybody seeing everybody else in pain hurts a lot. And I told him, I said, baby, unfortunately, you're going to have a lot of that. You have a funeral to get through. You're going to have everybody else seeing you as this young child and, and just feeling the pain that they believe you should be feeling. I said, baby, however you're feeling now is how you should be feeling. But dad and Becky are here to support you. And you got this whole network, this family that hears, loves you, and everything else. Um, and then, yeah, man, uh, me and Leo, fortunately, I was there, you know, and I was like, well, I'm not going to be doing digital anymore. I'm not running out to London. I'm not doing these weird hours working on other people's projects. I have to be around for baby boy, and he needs to know where dad is 24-7 because mom disappeared. And he didn't, when well, nobody knew where she was for X amount of hours, and then she was gone. So I cannot have that weird feeling. Even today, he said, Dad, where are you going? Um, and I always have to remember why he asked me this. Um, so, yeah, that's still in the back of his head. Um, so, yeah, I just had to make sure he was secure. So the fact that he knew he could tell, you know, the school, oh, Dad's at home. Dad's at home, you know, and, but Dad's working. Uh, it had helped a, a significant amount. So Leo had to change schools. We had to get him into a new school district. Uh, he then had to make new friends. Um, and I would have to say the brownie business opened a lot of doors for that kid because, oddly enough, we ended up in a local paper. Um, then everybody started calling him, oh, you're the brownie kid, you're the brownie boy. Um, so quickly, he got friends at school, um, and he didn't feel so isolated. Because I remember the first week he was coming home so quiet, uh, and it hurt me, man. I was, I was, I was crying a lot. Um, guys, don't, or, you know, this is the annoying thing. Guys are told not to cry, and I think that's a mission objective. You're not supposed to cry. You're not supposed to show emotion. Let me tell guys, get that crap out of your head. Do whatever you need to do. Um, I remember there was a point. There was a breaking point um, where I guess my body said, "This has to happen." where my shirt was saturated so much so with tears that I could wring it out. It was leaking out of my face like a faucet. I wasn't gasping or anything else. It was just one day while I was working, it just happened. Um, so that may have, might have been years of emotional suppression, or that might have been just that point in time or whatever else, but that's when I realized, man, I need to talk, and I need to break this cycle for my baby. Um, and that's all we do. We talk, we talk, we talk, we talk, we talk so much that I think he gets annoyed with me. But uh, <laughs> I'd rather that than my son feeling that he needs to suppress his emotions for any reason, because just because he's a male. Um, and uh, yeah, we have a pretty good relationship when it comes to being open and honest. Uh, this is what I saw about uh, one particular piece I was reading. Mm. And I'd phrase it as a question, literally, from that moment and that event, mm. what does Brooklyn Brownie mean to the two of you? And how, what did it bring for the two of you in those sort of coming sort of weeks and months afterwards? <sighs> Brooklyn Brownie to the two of us, it, it meant a lot more than I guess the average other person's business because it was our story. You know what I mean? It allowed us to bond together. It allowed me the flexibility of, of being able to work from home and create a proper living for the family. It created a journey, a brand, um, a story that people could follow. Um, and oddly enough, people, not oddly enough, but people got behind it when uh, somebody wrote about it in the Chronicle um, and explained the whole story. We had a hell of a lot of messages um, of people just condolences, just wanting to follow our journey. We're so happy with how we were 
were pretty much focused on mental health, uh, how we were talking. We took mundane tasks and that allowed us to open up. So immediately we got to do X amount of brownies a day. And while you're doing these goofy tasks, you can either work, work in silence or you could say, how's your day? What's going on? Eh, I'm playing this video game. It sucks, blah, 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 blah. I think I could do it better. Leo's into programming. Um, so it just allowed us to speak as dad and son, which I guess most of the time I didn't get to when I was out of the house. Um, but now I was able to ask Leo, how's he feeling? What's going on? But not being that annoying individual. How are you feeling, kid? No, it's just like, what are you doing today? Oh, I was thinking I might train uh, in the gym or I might do this. Or, Let's go for a dog walk. Can we do that? Oh, can we go to, you know, smoke pit? Can we go wherever? Can we get something to eat? Um, and it just opened up the communication channels to for us. Um, and yeah, man, our business means a heck of a lot to us because we are our business. And then that was another thing that Leo's so forward thinking he drives me mad. And I'm just like, oh man, you are version 2.0 and you're really getting on my nerves, kid. Because <laughs> you're, you're beating me to the punches. So it was just like, I mean, I remember the moment when he said, you know, this business is so much us, dad. Um, how do we live forever? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, like Mickey Mouse, how do we live forever? And uh, I was like, well, like Mickey Mouse, we need to create avatars of ourselves. So we created 3D models of ourselves. Uh, we had uh, one of the animation team I know um, create our story under 60 seconds. Um, and that, that went really well, uh, being able to show our story under 60 seconds. And uh, not one word spoken, but everybody understood the journey. Um, from us starting the business, the moment everything happened, to us getting awards, because we won what, two great entrepreneur awards, uh, multiple Northampton awards, um, everything else. And then uh, him saying, I think we should get a food van. That's the handy thing. It's like there's so many things I suppress about America, because America's huge for food vans. Um, uh, I just kind of stay away from like everything American but Leo loves America and he's just like my dad's American my dad's from New York and he's just like dad we should really do the food van thing and I was just like oh all right cool go on eBay and see what we got and then we ended up uh, at Shred and Butter and the boys helped us find a food truck that worked for us an American vehicle that was actually here in the UK which makes no sense uh, there's only three of them here in the UK uh, they're actually UK driver sides they're ex um, Northumbria ambulances um, and oddly enough it was tucked away in Scotland somewhere they dragged it down to their yard and they worked on it over COVID everything was slightly delayed it being an American vehicle and all but uh, they built it that they built us that beautiful thing and uh, they brought us into their TV show and one of their builds which was cool because that was Leo's first real experience with television um so once again things have opened doors for us and has uh, allowed him to experience so many crazy opportunities um and i'm just fortunate that everybody's been so supportive people have been so supportive that they helped crowdfund our vehicle um and through tips through gofundme through everything else there are a point when people throw in tips of like 100 bucks after they bought the brownies brownies was like 20 something a box and then it was suddenly just a little tip and you're just like what the heck, man? I'm just like, you know, enjoy your journey next to the tip. And it's just like, whatever else. It was just like, man, you guys, you guys are, are punching me right in the fields, man. Um, and yeah, that's why I say these people are extended family. They are not just followers. And everybody's been so supportive and cool, man. We got five people with our ink on them, with our brand on them, tattooed on them because they I believe. I saw that on your Instagram. Yeah, there was one, there was like two of them and said, we don't need the brownies. We're just focused on you guys. I want to be one one of the dad guys. He was like, I want to be a dad like you. Um, and we were like, no, you're getting the product, but God damn, thank you. You know what I mean? It's things like that. When people say things like that, it, it's wild. Um, yeah, we've been so fortunate. Extremely.
you was just about to move into the, the pandemic, which you've covered some of it now, mm. but that really, you was expecting COVID to really sort of hit the business and take it down, but it had the complete opposite effect, didn't it? Yeah, Richard, I mean, like, yeah, COVID, uh, I still remember the the Boris Johnson speech, and I was like, oh, me and my partner were looking at each other, and we thought, well, what are we going to do here? Because she, at the time, was uh, working at her mother's hairdressing, so we knew that was closing, because we sort of said the list of things that were going to be closed. Um, and I just thought, oh, kind of, are we a restaurant? Are we, what, what are we? We're just only getting into operations of shipping these things out because before we were delivering them um, locally by hand. Because you're running it from home. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we're running from home. I mean, we started the business with a plastic jug and a fork and we have that thing bolted to the wall now. Now we've got multiple industrial mixers and so on and so forth. But it's just like, um, it's a complete different thing and COVID just scared us and I was like oh I've got to get in touch with my friends back in digital because I can work from home easy easy money um, digital still needs to be made because television is still going on uh, and corporates are still going to be going on so they need content so let's put the feelers out there but we woke up the next day to like I think it was 50 something orders and we thought that was a blip we were like this is weird what's going on here um, and it just increased every day after that and we were like Yo, <laughs> this is this is mad. Uh, and then we we were able to collaborate with a, this really great company called the Chocolate Smiths. They find other small businesses that they align with, and they use their product in the chocolate bars. Recently, they blew up because Joe Wicks shouted them out. Um, and yeah, we we did a lockdown thing with them in May. Uh, and uh, that was our collaboration bar with them. And it was this chocolate bar with our brownies shoved, shoved in the middle and some of our flavors in there and everything else. And uh, it was the first time that they actually did a chocolate bar for an entire month because we were in lockdown. And I remember Steffi you know, chatting to me and she's like, what do you think we should do? And I was like, you know, being an American, I was like, yeah, well, what's there to lose? I might as well just throw it out there because she only does it for a weekend usually. I was like, let's do it for the whole month. I was like, let's just call it May Day, you know what I mean? Insanity or something. She's like, she went, cool, that sounds amazing. Um, so in a way, we engineered uh, more followers, uh, more people recognizing the brand for a full month because they had more followers than us and everything else. And all their followers were fantastic. They were quite bubbly, happy, nice people. And they were like, oh, look at these two crazy guys. And then, well, oh, look at the story. Oh, man, these guys have been on a journey. So it really worked well for both brands. Um, and yeah, we still still chat to Steffi. She's fantastic. We're just so happy with the success she has. Uh, she's moved into multiple properties now uh, and it's a gigantic chocolate company um, but it looks like it happened overnight but she's been grafting for years and that's the problem a lot of people believe on social media things happen overnight oh no they don't they really don't you have to engineer your own success no and you can definitely see your creative and uh, graphical and graphic skills in your social media it's like brilliant to see and i have seen mr t pop in there occasionally as well um i'm not quite sure how you got that giant spoon on the mixer <laughs> things but the but the uh, you do see um that all over with some of the um the promotional work you do the marketing really comes across well as well the pandemic we went through the pandemic continued to grow for, forward significantly you've just mentioned the ambulance yes. um leo <laughs> beats you to the punches get, is the ideas man um where do you see brooklyn brownie going over the next few years uh <clears throat> well 
we we were we were still baking in our kitchen up until uh, what, July, uh, beginning of July. Uh, we had this little construction project where we were going to strip out what we had our, as our gym, which was our double garage, which is a five meter by five meter unit. Uh, and we started looking around for uh, kitchens, you know, dark kitchens. Uh, that was one of the reasons why we started baking in the house. Let's go back to the pandemic part. Uh, we couldn't find like a lease at that point because people, realtors were like, we don't know what this pandemic thing is. We can put everything on a pause. So we, we don't know what's up. So if we put our business on pause, where we said, we'll get you your brownies within seven days, and I'm trying to figure out how to get a dark kitchen, I think we, there would have been a totally different story for Brooklyn Brownie. Now, if we started to you know, disappoint people uh, at those early inception days, but we didn't. We worked with what we had and we stretched our production pipeline modularly how I would do in a film you know, or, or, or a digital project. I took those digital pipeline skills and I moved them into a physical product. And I went, okay, this is what we have as assets out of the house. Uh, let's strip this out for a weekend and bring this in. This is the budget for this we have. Let's do that and bring that in. Uh, let's find this used uh, Hobart you know, mixer, bring that in. Um, and we were always able to scale up with what we had. Um, and that, in a way, I was happy we didn't get leases. I think you've seen. So yeah. I've, I read somewhere that um, you didn't want to take any finance no. or anything like that because you you needed to have that stability for Leo. Completely. So always wanted to have stability for Leo. Uh, didn't want to like go into ridiculous debt or anything like that. Or oh, let's let's sign this lease for five years or three years or whatever else. Because uh, we have seen some friends go pop because they've come out of the pandemic, customer buying habits have changed, um, and the sales just ain't there. You know, I mean, the Instagram um, algorithm has changed for some of them, and it's just like they're not getting the views or inter- engagements they had, and now they have this this vehicle, and they've got this, you know, um, unit that just ain't being used properly. Where, now that we've stripped out that and we've put in a full commercial dark kitchen into it, uh, it's, it's double the footprint actually of some commercial kitchens in town. Um, and we call that the BBC hatch where you just pretty much walk up and that inception was kind of from the movie, the founder, where it was like the McDonald's, the first McDonald's, you just walk up, all the production's happening behind you and you just order, make your order, you pre-order it, uh, come and collect it. Or you could just, uh, sit on the bench, hop in the ambulance cause that's on the drive and chill, watch television, have a slush, you know what I mean? And then just hang out in this surreal environment because who else gets to sit in an ambulance um which is tricked out really cool by the way um and wait for their dessert to come and people love it because then they instantly pop it on social media then their friends go oh hey where was that that's strange that's in northampton cool i want to go down and see that so we've made it kind of a destination point even though most people go it's it's on your drive and you know the, the whole thing happens on that spot yes you can make success happen and uh I just rewind it back to almost like fields of dreams or whatever. If you build it, they will come. And it's kind of that. It's, it's, that's, that's our ethos. If you build it, they will come. Make people come and uh, make people happen. Make people come to your destination. Um, and we found that we can. And, the, and just to reemphasize, that's not a pre-book and go along. People can come along. And um, I've, I saw the social post with the hatch. I didn't see, I've seen the founder, but now you mention it, I yeah. see the link there. That's Fantastic. I feel I know the answer to this next question, but I'll ask you anyway. Why do you do it? Why do I do Brooklyn Brownie or why do I live? (laughs) What gives you that energy to go through what you're doing? Because you could, 
um, go and carry on in digital oh, yeah. and just get a, a salary coming in um, that would give you stability. Mm-hmm. But why? Do, so why do you choose Brooklyn Brownie and stick with Brooklyn Brownie? This is a funny one, man, because I give answers, different answers to different people. But when we do podcasts, we're very open and honest. Um, I don't want Leo. Number one, Leo has never really been to the States because I've never wanted him to come across the situations I've had back in America. Um, he's, I guess you could say, almost a little marshmallow boy with the issues he's had or any issues I don't think he's had in this country, really, when it's come to, I guess, who he is as a person. Uh, this comes down to race. I never wanted Leo to come across his glass ceiling. I want us to create our own success, and I want him to be able to go, I'm going to continue with this, or I'm going to push it into a different vein, or I'm going to go to university, and I'm going to become I don't know, a musician, or I'm going to do this or do that. I just want him to have that flexibility and the ability to take a little bit from the business if he needs, or if he wants to take it down I guess, a ridiculous trajectory that he sees it needs to go to. This is his baby, um, and hopefully he'll take it on. Uh, but if he doesn't, I hope he gets a great lifestyle from it when he sells it. We've already covered death during the conversation here. Um, it does eventually happen to us all. Oh, yeah. uh, how would you want to be remembered? I'd want to be remembered as a, a great dad. You know, I, I've just recently had uh, another baby. You know, Little Liberty uh, with Rebecca, my partner. Um, she's amazing. Um, and it's it's fun. It's fun, I guess, again, to see this this new little being. And I remember all those feelings I had with little baby Leo, once again, humbling me. It's a girl, so it's completely different dynamic. Um, and it's kind of changed me in another way. You know what I mean? Uh, it's softened me in another way. Uh, she's a beautiful little being, so... My number one thing, I guess you could say, as a parent, and I know this might sound a bit fluffy to people who aren't parents as of yet, uh, I just want to be known as a really good dad. I can I feel that so much. The um, I knew it would be, and it has been an amazing journey that you've been on. Um, so much, is, I, I the words fail me. I want to thank you very much for coming in, having a conversation and uh, sharing your story. No, thanks for having me, Richard. No, it's been great. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Remember to like, share and subscribe to help spread the stories of small businesses across the UK. Have you got a story to share? Reach out to us on ukbf.co.uk and you never know, you could be the next UKBF story.